Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Good News with Angie Austin. Now, with the Good News, here's Angie. Angie Austin and Jim Stovall, you know, every week we talk about his winner's wisdom column. And one thing that he does is read a book every single day. And that's kind of part of what we're talking about. Some of his uh, favorite books, but why we should read books. All right, Jim, so what are you teaching us this week? Well, first, it's embarrassing to admit to you, my friend and colleague, and uh, to all your listeners, that when I could read with my eyes, as most people listening to us right now do, I don't know that I ever read a whole book cover to cover. I was an athlete, and um, you know things like that just weren't important to me. After losing my sight, I discovered audiobooks, and I was part of an experiment on uh, compressed digital audio to see how fast people could listen to audiobooks and retain them. And after the experiment was over, I just kept doing it. And uh, so the, uh, the the short story is that uh, today, 30 years later, I read a book every day. There hasn't been a day in decades. I haven't read a whole book cover to cover. And becoming a reader made me want to become a writer. And the 50 books I've written so far and the nine movies now based on them all came out of that just, you know, desire to start being a reader. And recently, um, Shepherd.com, it's a national review site for best-selling authors, had reviewed one of my books, and then they reached out to me and said, would you be willing to recommend five titles in your genre? And, you know, in, in this case, it would be uh, inspirational fiction, five books that really you would recommend. So, you know, I picked five, and it's uh, Acres of Diamonds by Russell Conwell, and one of the great stories in the world endures for uh, almost two centuries now about a guy that uh, in in Africa, he sells his farm uh, because he's heard everybody's down hunting diamond mines, and he sells his farm to go look for diamonds and fails in every way and then comes back home and realizes the richest diamond mine ever was found on his farm and, uh, after he sold it. And then, uh, uh, you know, Outwitting the Devil by uh, Napoleon Hill, where he actually, in a fictitious story, puts the devil on trial and, you know, how we interact with that. And then uh, and then um, The Twelfth Angel by Ogmandino. It's an amazing story about a Little League team. When you're ready for a good laugh and a good cry, uh, pick up uh, The Twelfth Angel. And then... Uh, you know, the uh, uh, Three Feet from Gold by my uh, friend and co-author Greg Reed and uh, Sharon Lecter, and it's taking up an old Napoleon Hill story about a guy digging a gold mine, and he gets frustrated, gives up, and sells it, and, uh, you know, the guy that buys it in the first hour, 
you know, digs a little tunnel three feet there and hits the largest vein of gold ever in the state of Nevada. And it's just a, a true story, but an amazing story. And then I kind of went outside the rules because I got to color outside the line sometime. And, it, you know, it wasn't intended to be an inspirational novel, but it's inspirational because it's simply the best. And I think anybody that does what they do better than anybody else. And it's uh, Ernest Hemingway's Old Man in the Sea. And if you haven't read that or if you haven't read it recently, uh, wow, just to see somebody do something that well is uh, is inspiring to me. So those are the five I picked on that particular day. Something that sticks um, out to me about Ernest Hemingway is you've told me that you've seen some of his rough drafts and that he wasn't a good writer in the rough drafts. He was a good writer as he continued to hone his craft. Yeah, and, and very much so. I mean, uh, when uh, his grandson re-released uh, a new edition of Hemingway's book called The Movable Feast, he in the back of it they put uh, you know pages of Hemingway's original first draft, and you think, wow, he's no better than I am. And uh, and you know, and Hemingway is such a minimalist in his writing, and early in there in his career, he and Scott Fitzgerald both lived, F. Scott Fitzgerald, the two of them and Pablo Picasso all lived at Gertrude Stein's home in, in Paris, if you can imagine. You know, you, you've got Picasso, you've got Hemingway, and you've got Fitzgerald all living at the same house, broke, and uh, hoping they could ever do anything. And uh, what's amazing is Picasso paid his rent by giving her a painting a week. And those paintings became the... Uh, uh, the basis of the Stein Museum in New York, which is multi-billion dollar museum, one of the great art museums in the world. And then, of course, uh, Fitzgerald and Hemingway, we know what they did. But Fitzgerald is a detailed writer. I mean, if he takes you into a room and there's drapes on the wall, he'll do three pages talking about how the drapes flow down the wall. Wow. You know, Hemingway does nothing like that. And, uh, you know, it's interesting to see the way they describe characters uh, you know, in one of his books, Fitzgerald's describing this beautiful woman, and he goes on for pages and pages and pages. And, you know, and Hemingway just said, the girl of my dreams walked into the room. And that oh. was it. You know, you're done. Wow. And uh, I have a neighbor and, and that we, tells stories more like Fitzgerald, where there's lots of details and it's a very yeah. long story. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and uh, but... Uh, you know, those are all, you know, when you look at great books, and, and great books are uh, just a gift. I mean, I, they take us to different places. And, you know, not long ago, I was speaking for a one of the billionaire families uh, because of my book and movie, The Ultimate Gift. A lot of uh, families of extreme wealth bring me in for their family reunion to talk to their second and third generation. And mm. I was there, and, and a group of the, the, the guys were talking about uh, climbing Mount Everest. So I, I, I said, well, did you did you go up the South Call or did you go over the Hillary Step and did, did you take the, the the approach through Mongolia or the one through India and and they said Jim have you climbed Mount Everest I said no I never got out of Oklahoma I've just read a dozen books on it and I knew more about it than they did and they've been to the top of the mountain and so you know books can take you anywhere and you can meet anyone you can have any experience you can imagine.
That is so cool because so true. And again, for people that don't know, we've mentioned it numerous times and even maybe even mentioned it today. You're blind. So you're going all of these places without being to see, able to see. What from your um, book, The Ultimate Gift, that was your first movie that really sparked a lot of this, um, you know, uh, success as an author. What do you think resonated so much about the book for people that don't know about it? It's on the list. Of, you know, your favorite books here, uh, life changing books. What feedback do you get from people that say this was a life-changing book? Well, the, 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 the story about a billionaire who near the end of his life uh, realizes his money has ruined his family and he has this one grandson he thinks has some potential. So instead of making him an instant billionaire, he sends him on this 12-month quest. And each month he has a different task he wants to do that are called gifts, and he learns the gift of money and the gift of work and the gift of friends and all these things. So I, I think it's a compelling story. I think the, the characters are amazing. But, you know, it has a lot of the uh, the wisdom I learned from my grandfather, but I made the character a billionaire to dispel what I call the big lie in our society. And the big lie is if I just had enough money, I wouldn't have any problems. Oh, it is I, the big I, lie, I, isn't it? I would direct your attention toward the royal family and just check that out right there because uh, never anybody with more money or more problems than they seem to have. And uh, and there's a great book coming out uh, this week uh, by uh, Harry called Spare and that I've already ordered and we'll read that because, I, you know, like everybody else, I'm fascinated with that sort of thing. And, uh, and uh, you know, there are so many just amazing books and uh, and even the bad books I read, I, I learn from them because uh, I read as a reader, but I also read as a writer. So it's uh, whether it's a good book or, you know, it, it falls a little short, it gives me opportunities to do what I do better. Now, when did you decide and why to read a book a day? I mean, it's like pretty crazy. I mean, that's a lot. Well, you know, people always go through that awkward thing, you know, where do I start and where do I pick back up? You know, and people tell me, you know, I've been reading this book eight months. I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you stay, you know, it'd be like watching a movie over five weeks. I don't know, you know, it's, you know, so for me, um, you know, when I can listen to an audio book that would take, 10 hours and I can listen to it in an hour, 45 or two hours. It just makes sense to me, you know, to, to read it all in one day. And, uh, and then tomorrow I read another book and another book. And it, it just kind of gives me that context. Now I can kind of go maybe, I don't know. Let's see. I can't quite double it. You know, the speed, um, yeah. how fast are you listening? Um, if it's not technical and depend on who's reading it and are there accents, I can get five times the normal speed or a little more. Now, if there's a lot of math or calculations or you've got a unique accent, I'll slow it down. And then there are occasionally a book that's read by somebody I really respect, and, uh, uh, and I'll listen to it at normal speed. Uh, uh, one of the last ones I did was uh, the autobiography Ted Turner wrote, uh, Lead, Follower, Get Out of the Way. And because he's been a colleague of mine for all these years, and I have great respect, and he read his own book, I just wanted to hear him read it to me. So How was it? Oh, fabulous. You know, 
Turner is nothing if not uh, he's always unique. He, you know, it's like Betty Davis said. It may be scary, it may be a train wreck, but I dare you not to watch me. And uh, that's Turner. You never know what he's going to do. I don't agree with it all. I don't even like it all. But wow, what a ride! I'm going to read that too. I'm going to, and I'm going to go over your list and tell us again where we find the list. I mean, obviously, we can go to jimstrovel.com, but yeah, uh, or you can just go to shepherd.com, and they have my reading list and a whole lot of other people's. And uh, you know, and so it's you know, one of the things when I meet people I admire or respect, I'll often, what are you reading? What have you read recently that matters to you? And it's interesting when you meet successful people. You know, never do you find someone that's not reading something. I, you know, and the, one of the things we put in this week's column is uh, all leaders are readers. I, I've never met a successful person that uh, wasn't a voracious reader. You're a voracious reader, that's for sure. All right, I'm going to read Ted's book, too. Uh, it's funny because he's got the old-style, uh, you know, photo of himself up. I hope I can get it on Kindle. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. It looks like it's from, like, 1981, so we'll do our best to see if I can grab that on Kindle. Okay, we talk a lot about your columns, but there's a lot going on in your life. You run the Narrative Television Network. You're getting up towards writing 60 books. You've got your ninth movie coming out. Like, what? It, what is the, and you speak all over the world. What is the next month, a few months hold for you? What's going on? Well, I uh, I am writing the sequel to my book, Words That Shaped Our World, that came out just before Christmas, and we're writing the second one of those, and then I'm writing a book uh, in conjunction with the Young Men's Service League called The Ultimate Gift Comes to Life. They they read my book, The Ultimate Gift, and that movie, and a couple of single moms with uh, teenage boys got started, and uh, they started doing service projects, and uh, the next thing you know, they form a little club called the Young Men's Service League down in Texas, and it grew. Long story short, today there are 127 chapters in 26 states, and there are 11,000 boys involved this year, and they each do a service project each year in high school. Well, what I've asked is for those boys to write down their experiences uh what did you do in your community? Who did it help? And how did it change your life? And I'm writing their stories. And uh, and so that, that's called The Ultimate Gift Comes to Life. And then my novel, Will to Win, is being turned into a movie right now. So working on that. And uh, and then back out on the road doing speeches again, which, wow, I missed that. I didn't realize how much I'd missed it till last fall. I did the first arena event in a year and a half, two years, and walked onto a stage in Charlotte with... 9,000 of my close friends, and, uh, you know, I realized I never want to give that up. So uh, so things are great. It's a great time, and uh, I'm just excited. Well, if you're ever near Denver or within, you know, a close, you know, I would love to watch you speak live. That would be like a dream to come true for me. So I would absolutely love that. Well, my friend, uh, jimstovall.com, you make my week. I don't know how I fit into your busy schedule, but I'll never question it because it's such a blessing to me. Thank you, friend. Well, you are a gift, and I love you, and I always enjoy our time together, Angie. Thank you, Jim. Edgewater is tuned to the Mighty 670 KLT. Arc Thrift needs your small furniture and electronics donations now. You can donate that end table or folding chair you've been meaning to find a new home for. Smaller sized furniture that can fit in your trunk and home goods like blenders and air fryers are items that ARC badly needs right now. 
They make it easy by unloading your car, and your donations help people with intellectual and developmental disabilities, the primary mission of ARC Thrift. ARC has high demand for small electronics like speakers, soundbars, Bluetooth speakers, and turntables. And once you donate, you can shop in the stores for your own treasured finds. Each ARC Thrift location has over 5,000 new items every day. So there is always something new and exciting. Every ARC Thrift store keeps their shelves fresh with new merchandise, so each new purchase will be special to you. ARC's donation centers are open from 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. Monday through Saturday. Sunday donation hours are available as well. To find the nearest ARC Thrift Donation Center, go to arcthrift.com donations. Hi, friend. Angie Austin here with the author of the book, Bags, Help Your Kids Lighten the Load, Chris Sasser here on The Good News. And uh, I want to kind of go through all of these bags that you say that our kids need to unpack. Welcome to the program, Chris Sasser. Thanks, Angie. Glad to be here. All right. So let's kind of go through. You've got, um, you know, chapter one, uh, d- uh, just don't uh, uh, pack, you know, the bag with all the yep. problems. And number two, yep. you get into the relational bag, the performance bag. So what are these bags and why why are they packed in the first place by our kids? Well, I think our kids just go through life and so many different things happen to them that sort of fill up their backpack. And a funny story about kind of when I was writing the book, Angie, and and this is an encouragement, I hope, to parents. So I was noodling on it and actually writing it for about a year. And, uh, you know, I would talk about it to my wife a little bit. And and her response would be, yeah, maybe interesting. I don't know. I mean, she wasn't super encouraging about it, primarily because what she was hearing me say was, hey, as parents, we're like we're just terrible people and we're loading our kids up with all of this baggage. And her thought was, who wants to read about that? And I agree with her. Then I finally got into like a brainstorming session with her one day and, and we just were kind of brainstorming on it and the light bulb went off. Oh, I'm, it's not my fault as a parent. Teachers pack bags, coaches pack bags, you know, social media packs bags, peer relationships pack bags. But again, as a parent, I'm just uniquely positioned to be able to, to, to see it happen. And so the baggage is just all the burdens. So these are, this kids, is like a backpack of burdens that our kids yeah, are car- carrying around through life absolutely. on their back. I mean, I know I've got burdens from, from when I was growing up that I'm still carrying in some ways. And, and mm-hmm. what we know is when, when, the, when those burdens are so heavy that they're weighing us down, you know, sometimes even as kids, they can, they can learn how to mask it. But for a lot of adults, that comes spewing out when they're 45. Mm-hmm. And it's not pretty. <laughs> in a well, lot of different ways. What do, what do you think, Chris, and I know that you've been in ministry for decades and that you've dealt a lot with young people. What do you think are some of the leading causes of the mental health crisis among young people today, which, by the way, I've definitely seen in my 16-year-old son that not going to freshman year in-person school has really made his sophomore year extremely difficult with not having connections. But So I think COVID's exacerbated it, it but COVID included. But what do you think are some of the leading causes of the crisis with young people today, mental health wise? You know, Angie, literally yesterday, this idea came to me in thinking about just a lot of this stuff, because I think about this stuff all the time, both for my kids and my family and for the work I do in the church. But I think we are experiencing as kind of a culture, the consequences of the way we have forced kids to grow up too soon. Mm, that's so true. Because I have to tell you, my kids, um, we're Christian. My kids seem to me immature to other kids. They're 14, uh, pardon me, uh, 13, 
almost 15 and 16. None of them have dated. Um, they don't go anywhere really alone. They go to like young life, but they they seem to me to be less mature socially. But my yeah. son runs his own business since he was 13. So he seems to me, and he invests in the stock market, he seems more mature like uh, in terms of like the working world, but less mature than his peers when it comes to dating and vaping and doing all the things they do. Yeah, what we've done as a culture is is we forced kids to experience things much earlier than say you and I did. Yes, uh, you know a lot of the things that you know we dealt with when we were in college or or after, and and our brains were more developed. We had the emotional maturity and the mental maturity to kind of process through a little bit. Culture, cell phones, TV, commercials, all going to school, all of the above forces these kids to deal with things when they're ten. Yeah, and what they see, like my my son was in fifth grade when some kid at a party showed him how his teenage brother uh, taught him to do the, um, oh, anonymous or whatever that, like, what's that setting, you know, on an Apple or on Google and you can't see? It's like secret, right? And then your parents can't trace you. And he said, oh, you can pull up pornography here and showed it to all the kids. And three of the boys left the room because they were so freaked out by it. But we didn't get exposed to that when we were that age. No, and part of what I've heard what I've heard it said before is kids are um, they're just not they're more exposed to the world and things that are going on, but they're not more mature right. to deal with it. So and true. so I do think part of the mental health crisis that we're dealing with just revolves around uh, kids are kids are having to process things that they are not yet ready to process. And so, and as adults and as parents, sometimes we don't know how to help them process these things, partially because maybe we don't have a close enough to, of a relationship to even know that they're having to process these things. And so um, I think that is a huge contributor to what's going on with our kids nowadays. Well, let's talk about, um, you know, any v- advice you have for parents to help their kids succeed spiritually, because we do ca- send the kids a young life. Um, we oftentimes now, because our local church closed during COVID, we'll do church at home with a notebook and we listen to one, a pastor we enjoy and then take notes and discuss it afterwards about what we learned uh, last time it was, uh, uh, oh, it's ne- you're never, uh, it's, it's you never fail taking the high road. That was kind of the yeah. uh, the yeah. gist of that one. But in terms of it's it's hard in this day and age to raise kids who are spiritually healthy. So what advice do you have about helping our kids succeed spiritually in the world? Well, the first thing I would say is as a parent, we need to be pursuing our own faith. Yeah, I think uh, and, and, and our kids need to, to see us doing that. And, and, and we want faith to be kind of a normal and natural part of life. That's part of what we actually talked about at our church through COVID. Our children's ministry was kind of leading the way at saying, how can we help you have a, a natural and, and normal kind of faith at home? Because that's where you live most of the time. And, and I remember years ago in ministry, I heard this, this quote. It's by a guy named Chap Clark. Chap's kind of one of the family ministry gurus in our country. He's been out at Fuller Theological Seminary for years. Chap said what parents have done is they have subcontracted the spiritual lives of their kids to the church. Oh, it's so true. And right? their education to the, t- the school. To the school and their sports to the to, to the team and to the uh, extra coaching and the travel ball and all that. So, so faith has just been kind of this other thing that we've exported out of our house to the quote-unquote professionals. And, hey, I'm one of those. Like, I have a job because parents do that. But what I would say to parents is the most impactful thing 
for your child is not for them to go to youth group or young life or whatever. And my kids do all those things. So mm-hmm. it's very supplementary. What I'm hoping is that the most uh, impactful thing is that they see me living an authentic life of faith, not something that just shows up every third Sunday because we're going to go this week. But, you know, during the week, I'm going to be somebody totally different. I've got to be pursuing a faith in in, in Christ. I've got to be modeling that, living that out. I've got to be having the fruit of the Spirit come out in in the way I deal with my family, the way they see me deal with other people. That's the, the, the way that your kids can grow spiritually healthy. Now, is that going to always work? No, of course we know it's not. It's not going to be perfect, but I do think it's the best way. It's even better than saying we're going to sit down and have a family devotion every night or every week or whatever. We don't even do that. And I'm a pastor. I'm like a professional Christian. What I want to do, though, is I want to be able to model it for my kids more than anything else. That's so important. Okay, so you are walking the talk and showing them through the way you lead your Christian life. Are there specific things that we as parents can do? Or, you know, if you're listening, if you're a parent, a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, um, you're mentoring a kid, what are specific things that we can do to set kids up for success? Um, Well, I would say build the solid relationship, number one. I would say, two, do what you can to, to surround them with other people who are going to lead them to that success that you oh, want. That's good. Right. Um, there's a quote that I say to teenagers all the time. Your friends will determine the quality and direction of your life. That's yeah. not mine. Uh, Andy Stanley said that years ago, but I say it all the time. Your friends will determine the quality and direction of your life. So what are the ways that I, as a parent or a grandparent can, can, can help my kids, you know, make wise decisions. You know, scripture says that he who walks with the wise grows wise but a companion of fools suffers harm. So I want to help my kids uh, be able to surround themselves with peers who are helping them go in the right direction. And and also, you know, I, I do want to, I don't necessarily need them to be involved in all the programs at my church or all the kind of the events that happen. I do want them to be in key relationships mm-hmm. with people, adults who, who love them to encourage them, who, who those adults are walking a life of faith, those adults are saying the same things that my wife and I are saying. Mm-hmm. And so I think setting them up for success is, is helping them have the right relationships as they move forward. I love that. Uh, let's talk a little bit about, again, if you're just joining us, uh, Chris Sasser has been serving kids, students, and families in full-time ministry for decades. And he wrote the book, Bags, Helping Your Kids Lighten the Load. What do you think, Chris, is the best way to help our kids discover their strengths and gifts? My 16-year-old had really, he was so self-confident, and I never would have guessed his sophomore year after, you know, being homeschooled last year with, you know, all the other kids, that his sophomore year, his self-esteem is so low now. He used to be a top swimmer, you know, awards all over his wall. He's been running his own business since he was 13. He was in advanced classes. This year, he's a completely different kid in his self Self-confidence has gotten so low, and he doesn't really have friends at this school because he didn't make them freshman year. So, what 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 are the best way to help you know him and other kids discover their strengths and gifts and improve their self-esteem? I, I, honestly, I think one of the best ways is to to give him opportunities to feel it. And so, so like if you know that there is a particular gift or skill that he he is good at, orchestrate. Put him in environments where he gets to, to, to exercise that gift, not just hear someone tell him that he's got that gift, but he actually has to exercise that gift. And it's really about discovery. Um, one of the words, uh, there's an organization in Atlanta, it's called Orange, 
uh, and they kind of have studied kids for a long time, and they did this thing called the Phase Project. And the word around middle school and high school kids, um, well, the word around middle school kids is affirm. We need to affirm who they are. The word around high school kids is mobilize. They kind of put one word at every phase as kids are growing up. So what I'm talking about is mobilizing him or any any kid uh, in a situation to where they can discover their gifts and they can kind of live it out. And when they they begin to live it out, yeah, live it out, make it shine. And all of a sudden they feel differently than they do if they just kind of think they may have that gift or they, they, they are told they have that gift. No, let them feel it. And, and it may be a situation where they try this thing and it's not quite the right thing. So try something else. And so as a parent, I've just maybe got to be a little more hands-on in orchestrating different opportunities for my kids. You know, go to the soup kitchen or put them in serving children's ministry in your church or all kinds of different opportunities for them to be um, um, active in learning and discovering that gift instead of just thinking about it. I love that. I want to make sure, because I know you have a couple of different websites uh, and workbooks, et cetera, uh, related to bags, help your kids lighten the load. You've been in uh, ministry for decades, Chris Sasser. What are the best ways for people to find you? And by the way, I found your book easily on Amazon.com. Great. Good news. Yeah, Amazon. the book is on Amazon for sure, so you can just get it from there. You can also, um, if you'd like to order a workbook to go along with it, you can go to www.thebagsbook.com. Um, and there's an easy way there to kind of get in touch with me. Uh, it's www.thebagsbook.com. And then I have another website where it's called equipandencourage.com, where I just kind of feel like my ministry uh, over the years has really just kind of revolved around those two words to where I want to equip and encourage parents and leaders to help the next generation walk with God. So equipandencourage.com is a place just to read some articles and maybe get a little bit more information. I'm on Instagram at csasser. I'm on Twitter um, CSASR 10. Uh, you can kind of find me on all those spots. I'm obviously on Facebook. would love to connect with anyone who wants to just talk about this stuff. And, and you know, my, my heart is just to, to, again, equip and encourage parents to help and them with their kids. And you said C, Pastor, C is in Chris? No, C, Sasser. Oh, C, C Sasser. Chris. Gotcha. I thought you said C, C Pastor. So that's C no, no, no. as in uh, Cook and then S A S S E R. C yes, Sasser. That's it on Instagram. Correct. <laughs> see faster thank you so much chris we're gonna continue to have you on the program thank you would love to come back thanks thank you for listening to the good news with angie austin on am 670 kltt with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.